Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. 1450 on the AM dial, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And uh, just wrapped up six days of uh, great local music here on WKXL during Kale and Company. My thanks to all the musicians who uh, took part. We had a wonderful week, some great reaction to it. And uh, now uh, we are back to uh, regular programming for a while anyway, if you call this regular programming. And uh, joining me in studio once again is the incomparable Peter St. James. Welcome back. You're getting to be a familiar voice here on WKXL. I just... I was using the bathroom. I'm on my way to the Deerfield Fair. Oh, okay. okay. Stopped in. I, I'm I, and yeah, yeah. It was very convenient. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's on the way. Speaking of the uh, Deerfield Fair. There you go. We have uh, Dick Pittman with us. Dick is one of the directors of the upcoming Deerfield Fair. Dick, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it is uh, our distinct pleasure, Dick. And this is 146 years of the fair. 146 years of agricultural family fun is what uh, what you're billing it. And, uh, Dick, you, you haven't been around for all of them, but uh, quite a few. Yeah, the last third. I'm working on it, though. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's, it's been 146 years, Dick, and, and in that 146 years, no hoochie-coochie shows, right? No. All right. No, we don't need them. What do you we think gotta, this is, Rochester? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say. It's not going to no beer tents and no hoochie-coochie. There you go. But you know what? We've talked to you briefly off the air before we started this, Dick, and I saw the forecast this morning. You saw it, and it looks great for this weekend starting Thursday. You know, I was a little jealous when the weather at Hoffman's here had over Labor Day. I said, boy, if we can have three of the four days with four or better. A little shower doesn't hurt a thing. We have nine acres of buildings that are full of exhibits. So don't let a little shower discourage you if it is that. But I don't see that happening. It looks like it's going to be a home run. It really does. It really and truly does. Well, you, you, you know, Deerfield Deerfield Fair, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute because it opens uh, Thursday. Um, but the Deerfield Fair, now you're the home of the uh, New Hampshire uh, Farm and Forest Expo. Yes, we, we opened the grounds up for them. Just another thing that we could help out with, well, we can do to promote agriculture and people enjoy the grounds on a year-round basis instead of just four days in end of September. You've got a lot of stuff going on uh, during the course of the year. Yeah, there's a dozen horse shows, there's a Neofest radio deal, there's uh, goat shows, sheep shows. Yeah, don't you have the Sheep sheep and Wool Festival? Sheep and Wool Festival and then yeah, uh, all kinds of got car, sh- car shows too. Car, yeah, that's the thing in the car show. But then we also have the old home day for the town. They have the fireworks show down here because of, I'm sitting here now looking at a hundred acres of parking availability for the free parking. Hundred acres. Of, well, you're going to need it because <laughs> you're you're expecting uh, like over a hundred thousand people for the weekend. They say it's the biggest event in the state now as far as wow. number of people that come through the gate. 
All right, so so if there are people saying, I want to go to the Deerfield Fair, but I don't want to go when it's ricked crowded, when should people go? Thursday morning. Okay. Now it's going to be wicked crowded on Thursday morning after you said that. That's okay. That's all right. We're ready for them. The guys are hanging around waiting for the action to start. We've had a good week so far getting ready. The place is packed with campers and vendors, so it's, it's going to be a good show. Wow. I remember doing some shows, some radio shows from the Deerfield Fair over the years, and generally we did them either on Thursday or Friday. But I remember that uh, Thursday, anyway, uh, a lot of uh, schools came in, a lot of school groups. Is that still true? Yeah. Yes. In fact, Friday, one price for the rides, and they can ride all day long. So that's a good thing for Friday and Sunday for the kids. Yeah. Huh. All right. Now, the thing uh, you know, I- I'm always jacked about the giant pumpkin uh, and the the world's record, or the, the North American record, anyway, Um was raised uh, by a guy from Merrimack County, um, and and was displayed at the Deerfield Fair. So we got another one coming up. We're hoping. I don't know they, they were saying it wasn't with all the rain we had this summer that the pumpkins didn't grow like they had hoped. But we're ready for them. We've got the scales all set up. We've got the excavators ready to lift it onto the scales. So well, it should be. When did the when did the pump, when did the pumpkins come in? I believe it's Friday. Wow. And, and people can show up for that. Oh, yeah. It, they'll be circled around it because they have the the pumpkin, but they also have the gourds and the things like that, the different ones. Okay. I, I was just looking at that, and uh, it said the Deerfield Fair weighed in the largest pumpkin recorded in the United States yep. weighing, get this, yep. 2,528 pounds. And I saw it. It was a beast. Yeah, it must have been. Yep. must have been. And it was out of Henniker, wasn't it? Um, boss one, Mr. Geddes. Uh, that's Goffstown. That's right. Yep. Steve Geddes. Yep. 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 So uh, that uh, uh, that's going to be hard to beat. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I don't know if he can beat, beat himself again this year or not. <laughs> and, and, We've got the three. And those guys that, uh, and women involved in the – New Hampshire Giant Pumpkin Growers Association. They trade seeds, and, I mean, it's a big deal with these guys. They are cross-pollinating, and they're doing everything they can oh, yeah. to get that big one. It's amazing. No, it don't is. Forget, don't forget, we've got the pig scramble, too. Oh, I love the pig scramble. Oh, that that is great. Do you get, that, any, do you get any pain in the butt protesters on that one? No, no. Good. Once I told them they just never had a good BLT, they kind of calmed down and backed off. Good. Uh, because the kids get to keep the pigs, and uh, they turn them into 4-H projects. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So it's, it's wonderful. Everybody wins. And, uh, you know, the, the other part, on, on Thursday, Dick, and I know the, the, the part of it that, that you look forward to the most is the Miss Deerfield Fair contest. Oh, yeah, that's a real treat. They they come out. It's a good scholarship program, right? For the kids. And uh, see the Haley Ranfos of uh, uh, where does she? She's from Pembroke, and uh, she is the reigning Miss Deerfield Fair. But she will be replaced on Thursday. But it is a great. I was just looking on your on your website, and uh, the top three winners are in scholarships of one thousand to $3,000 with several 
additional cash awards, as well as a $50 participation award for each entrant. And uh, the event uh, is is a great one. Everybody looks forward to it. And, uh, you know, as I recall, and and I think I'm correct about this, and this was a a while ago, uh, several radio stations ago uh, for me, I, I was a judge one year. At the Miss okay. Deerfield Fair competition. Yeah, you got me beat. I well, was, we can play the it if you'd like to do it again, Kea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was Miss Hampton Beach. Oh, yeah. Judge. Hey, yeah. Uh, you yeah. weren't Miss Hampton Beach. No, yeah, no, 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 no. I was a judge. <laughs> yeah. I tried to sell my vote. It didn't work. Uh, but, <laughs> no, where, is the, uh, where is the Miss Deerfield Fair pageant being held on the fairgrounds? Right on the center stage. Oh, okay. Okay. They they interview them in the office for that part of it, and then they work their way over to the stage for the talent part. So, is there anything new this year uh, that 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 people who have been coming to the fair the past couple of years uh, can look forward to, or can they just look forward to more great quality ag entertainment? Well, we got two new people movers to shuttle people from the parking lot into the ground, and of course, we've gone with the. Buy your tickets on the internet. You don't have to stand in line. Just walk right to the gate, hand it to them, and go in. That helps out on that end of it. But we have axe throwing this year. That's big now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's always been it's always been big, but it seems to be getting bigger over the years because there are a lot of places now where you uh, can do axe throwing uh, around the state and around the country. Uh, But it's always been uh, kind of big at the at the at the fairs. So. Uh, you have that, and uh, you've got all kinds of uh, agricultural displays. I mean, that's really what the fair is based on, yeah. isn't it, Dick? Oh, yeah, beef beef cows, yeah. dairy cows, boxing, <clears throat> the, the lady frying pan toss. That's another thrill for something new. Well, we're going to have to take a quick break. Dick, stay with us, and we'll talk, okay. talk more about the Deerfield Fair, how people can get uh, tickets online and uh, get them at the gate as well. And uh, more about the, uh, the entertainment taking place, because there's a lot of entertainment from uh, start to finish at the Deerfield Fair. That's always been the case. I remember when Kitty Wells was there. You remember that? Yeah. Kitty Wells was there wow. at, at one time. And it wasn't, I mean, it was you know, probably 30 years ago now. But time flies when you're having fun. The only thing that takes more, more center stage than that is the Willenders are back. We're the only fair they'll go to. They is come that, up from Florida. Is that right? Wow. The Flying Wallenders, yeah. Yeah, when you get new up there. They're, they're going to be they're going to be there all four days, I think, right? I, I think oh, yeah, I saw that. They are. That's, that's, that's one true. of our uh, biggest cards, drawing cards. Wow. Unbelievable. All right, Dick, we'll take a break and uh, be back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL. Peter St. James in studio today. We're all presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and uh, we will be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL and HTalkRadio.com. The incomparable Peter St. James in studio. We have Dick Pittman, one of the uh, directors of the soon-to-be-with-us Deerfield Fair once again, 2023. And uh, this is what... uh, 146 years yeah. of the, the Deerfield Fair and uh, before, get, getting better with age. Before we go back to Dick, I, I just just got this in. Just got this Uh-oh, in. Oh, newsflash. Newsflash. And, and I want people okay. to pay attention. Uh, this is from uh, Kelly Ayotz. 
office. Okay. Kelly running for governor. And the headline of her press release, AOT scores endorsement from Tom Brady and Coahuas County Commissioners. Well, how about that, sports fans? Okay. No, 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 there you no, go. no. Wait. wait. Uh, it's uh, oh. Tom Brady is the chairman of the Coahuas oh, County, oh, okay. County right. Commissioners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in case you're thinking it's the GOAT, it's not the GOAT. Cute. And then I like Kelly. I, you know, I, I, I go back with Kelly. Uh, but I saw Kelly got an endorsement from Tom Brady. Oh, wait a minute. Well, Not she did. that Tom Brady. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a call from Kelly going, why didn't you shut up? All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> so, Dick, go ahead, Dick. Let me tell you something, Peter. Kelly, Kelly A.R. came and we walked the grounds there a number of years ago. And she brought her husband. They had a grand time here. Yeah, she's a very nice uh, she, lady. Kelly's, yeah, yeah, and she could walk your grounds all day because she's also a runner. So, she, you know, she's in shape. Yeah. Uh, no. You mentioned the flying, the flying Walendas uh, are going to be there. and uh, This this is the only fair they play, Dick? Yes, this is the only one. Really? It's been with us this for a long time. I don't know how many years, but... Probably <laughs> since the start because of the, it, the, the family... Has been around. I mean, uh, you know, the Wolanda family has been in the circus business for over two hundred years. It says eight generations. Wow. Yeah. So it says uh, Thursday on the main stage, twelve thirty and three thirty. Uh, Friday at twelve and three. Saturday, twelve and three, and Sunday the final day, one thirty and four thirty. It's amazing how many how little. Shit. Fill the bleachers an hour before the show. The people want it so popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. No. No doubt. That's so, one. so how do you get? Can you still get tickets in advance? You can buy. You can sit in the parking lot and and do it on your internet with your phone. And you can still do it. How How do you get online? Is it DeerfieldFair dot com? Yeah. Okay. And you can buy tickets thing, in advance. The other thing I got to tell you, Peter, is. I don't know what happened, but I gave her my director job, and I got made vice president. So, <laughs> you're vice was, president. Yeah, the, we got a great president with Donnie Wyman and teamwork. Oh, well, I imagine I imagine all of the uh, uh, the uh, the the officials are uh, are affiliated or have been affiliated with the fair for a long time. Oh yeah. A lot of family members. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so has there ever been any? Has the Deerfield Fair always run at this time, or have you over the years did you change your dates? No, as far as I know, in fact, the only in 146 years, there's only been two. One year, WW2, the big one, they didn't hold it, and then what was it 2022 with, with the COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Other than that, that's not a bad record out of 146 years. Miss two, we even had we even had hurricanes come during the fair where we had to shut it down, but we kept on cranking. Wow. People just ran for cover because you're the you're the next to last fair. Uh, typically, uh, the the last fair uh, is the sandwich fair, and I've been yeah. to sandwich in past years when it's been spitting snow. Yeah. Would you ever change your dates and say, "Well, we want to be the last, you know, the last fair," or you you like no. exactly where you are? 
people are so used to it, including all of us that work on it, that it's just just planned that last week of September be ready for the fair. As yeah. Junior say, it's, it's that time of year again. Get ready for the fair. Yeah. Well, and you get fair weather uh, come end of September. That's what you want. I mean, it, you don't you, you don't want uh, the uh, North Haverhill Fair kind of weather because they're in July, and I've been no. up to that one, and man, it is hot. No, we don't need it. it, it I'd much rather sell us having got people buying apple crisps than okay. lemonade. But oh yeah, they, I just found out that one of the booths. That does the apple crisp also does blueberry crisp. Blueberry crisp, huh? Ooh, wow. And they said it's a hit. That is something. I'm still uh, Italian sausage. Oh, yeah. Uh, give me the yeah. sausage. You know, that's what I go to the. That's fair food. You the, know? That and the uh, hubcap sized donuts that they have. Oh, yeah, yeah and the, we were talking about that the other day. <laughs> the donuts as big as your hat, you got problems. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So yeah, so we've we've chalked up uh Stratum Fair, uh North Haverhill, Cheshire, Belknap County, Cornish, Lancaster, Hopkinton, Hillsborough County, uh and and now we're down to Deerfield and then uh Sandwich. That's it, baby. That's it for fair weather. Yeah. And like you said, you looked ahead and uh the weather's looking great. Well we're so excited about it. We've put a lot of work. We've done a lot of unseen changes, like $65,000 to fix the bleachers. Wow. Just to make them ready. And, we, and things like that that people don't see. Another 100000 went into the barns. Keep, keep maintain them. Oh, yeah. So we really look forward to the weather being good because we, I remember been in this long enough. I remember seven years in a row we had some rain. Yep. That really... Especially if it's on a Saturday or Sunday, really cuts down on the admissions. So if if I'm sitting in your parking lot and I'm on my my uh, phone and I'm getting online tickets, um, I get that done. How much is the parking going to cost me? Zero. Z- See, look at that. How about that? Hundred acres of free parking. Yeah, and there is there is a, they call it the Fairfield across from the fire station and it's on the ground. That we purchase from the the neighbors that we preferred parking, if you call it, because it's closer for and the seniors like it. But that's only ten dollars for that one. We're just trying to recoup part of our four hundred thousand we paid for the land. Wow! You you, you have a lot more parking than they have at uh, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. <laughs> Far yeah, more. Probably, probably not quite as organized, but. No, I don't. Know. I wouldn't know about that. Uh, I'd probably more organized than it is down there. But uh, 100 acres of free parking, so whenever an issue about parking, you might have to park, you know, a little distance away. But uh, but that's okay. But you have the new shuttles, right? Yeah, we got four shuttles. John Deere tractors pulling them the whole time to bring you in and bring you out at night, also the end of the day that's beautiful what's what's the easiest way to get to the fair is it coming off of four down what is that 107 uh or or coming in off of uh um coming in off of uh, 101 well there's there's three distinct routes route four in 107 then or come up 101 from raymond on 43 or come in on 101 exit three in through candy and that way 
Yeah, okay. We've been known we've, we've been known to irritate a few of the natives with. <laughs> yeah. And and it, it's great it's great for everybody. I mean, every member of the family will find something that they enjoy uh, because uh, certainly for the kids and some adults too, there are some terrific rides. Great rides. A lot, a lot of equipment as far as they can climb on a John Deere tractor, they can yep. climb on a cat excavator or see them trailers here with all kinds of dump trailers and box yep. trailers. And, and the kids love that. Kids love that. And there's a great website, too, DeerfieldFair.com. If you uh, want to find uh, find out anything about the fair, schedule-wise, what what's going on, and it even has it broken down as to uh, when are the busiest times and, and the least busiest times. There you go. The other thing is we want to emphasize is veterans that have their card with them get in for free. You got to take care of the veterans. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. That's a class act. I like that. Yep. Well, Dick, I know it's going to be a great weekend weather-wise. The, the fair is always a blast, and uh, we appreciate you joining us this morning. You guys are welcome anytime. Just let me know when you're coming. We'll line, we'll line up two sausages for Peter. <laughs> sounds like a plan, Dick. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dick. Stay well, my nice friend. Talk we'll we'll talk. Yeah. Thanks again, you guys. All right, Dick. Deerfield Fair coming up this Thursday yep. through Sunday. Wow. How about that? I mean, here we are. You know, where did the summer go? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. But thank you to Dick Pittman, uh, great guy. I've known Dick for years. And he is, you know, him and Junior Gardner. You know, they're just oh, sure. personifications of the fair, what it represents. Great time. And you still hear Junior doing the uh, the commercials oh, yeah. for the Deerfield Fair. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All righty. And thanks to Dick. And uh, enjoy the fair again. Uh, DeerfieldFair.com is the website. It has everything you need to know. We'll take a break. Kale & Company continues right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. It is Kale & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And uh, we are going to be chatting with a gentleman by the name of Daniel Dane. Daniel, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to chatting with you. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to this as well. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't seen the book yet, but uh, the book is uh, A History of Boston. And uh, being a native Bostonian myself, I'm anxious to see it. Daniel, uh, delight to have you with us. You're a lawyer by trade. Uh, what possessed you to uh, write uh, this incredible 800-plus page book on the history of Boston? Well, first of all, sorry that we haven't gotten you a book yet. We'll have to get one up to you so well, you can enjoy that, it. That would um, be terrific. <laughs> people who have read it so far have uh, have given me good reviews, so I'm happy about that. Um, I did not start out with the intention of writing a history book, if you can believe it. Uh, in my day job, I represent real estate developers in Boston, and when my clients plan to invest in, in property to build a new building, they're essentially making a prediction into the future, which is when, say, a new building opens in, in you know, say, three or four years, will there be tenants who want to you know, occupy the building? Will there, will there be companies in the future who want to move in? 
And in making that prediction as to the future, they're essentially betting that what I call a period of high urbanism is going to continue. And high urbanism I define as a period of people wanting to live, work, play, study, visit, shop in a city, you know, in our case, Boston, but, but generally applicable. We're in this run of, of people returning to cities. Uh, and Boston's had this sort of 30-year run of, of incredible success. It's one of the most successful economic cities in the world. Uh, third most venture capital attracted to Boston of any city in the entire world. You know, first in universities, hospitals, uh, sports teams. Uh, and yet, I'm old enough to remember in the 1970s and 1980s when I grew up that Boston was a basket case, really. Yeah. Um, in 1950, the, U- the census, Boston's population was over 800,000 people. In 1980, the census was 520,000 people. So in just three decades, the city lost almost 300,000 people. Uh, in the 1980s, the Brookings Institute declared Boston the most blighted big city in the entire country, you know, worse than Detroit or Pittsburgh or Cleveland or these other, uh, you know, Midwest or northern uh, old industrial cities. And so I had just been playing for a long time in my mind with this question of why is Boston so successful today and why was it not that long ago in our, you know, within many of our lifetimes, the city was in this prolonged period of great decline. It was not a place that you wanted to do any of these things. People didn't want to live in the city or work in the city, visit the city. People were, were, were moving out of the city as quickly as they, as they could. But I know enough Boston history to know that if you go back before that to the 19th century, the, industri- the Industrial Revolution in America starts in Greater Boston and Waltham and Lowell uh, with, the mill, with the textile mills. Uh, so successful was the city that uh, in order to accommodate all the people who wanted to live and work in the city, they, ne- they needed to fill in the South Cove and, and the South End and the Back Bay. Uh, East Boston was a series of small islands. You know, the, what's Logan Airport today is landfill. South Boston was a small peninsula off of Dorchester. Um, and so I, I just was playing around in my mind, why is the city swung so dramatically back and forth between periods of success and failure? And literally one evening in December 2017, I pulled off all off of my shelf all the books that related to Boston history and just thought I would take some notes and just try to understand the history better. And as I took notes, you know, it was 20 pages of notes, and I figured I'd stop there and just have it as a useful reference. But the more notes I took and the more sort of research I did, the more questions I had. And I just started doing more research, and what was 20 pages became 50 and then 100 pages and <laughs> It was originally sort of an outline, and then I started writing more complete sentences and paragraphs. Uh, and after a year or two, I was like, geez, I have something here that maybe I should, I should actually finish this. I kept making notes of, of things I want to do more research on. And, and while I was trying to answer the specific question about what makes cities in general, and in particular Boston, successful or not successful, uh, I was really also just interested in the general history of the city. Yeah. I was surprised to find out that there's no single-volume history of Boston that's been written. Uh, there is an excellent book called The Short History of Boston by Robert Allison that I, I really like a lot, but it's about 120 pages with a lot of pictures, and it's really sort of a, a, a quick guide, but there was nothing sort of comprehensive to go to, and uh, eventually I thought, you know, let me, let me finish this up and try to get it published, and so I'm very pleased that I did, and I worked with Peter E. Peter e. Randall, publisher, uh, out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, uh, it was very important to me to work with the New England publisher. So I was really happy with the work that they did. They've been, been really great and supportive of the project. This is 800 pages long, and uh, I've learned that you uh, 
read over 250, uh, 265 books and over 500 articles uh, in your research for this book. Yeah, I mean, part of it was just I wanted to learn, and I sort of made it a discipline that if I, if I used a book as a reference, I would read it from beginning to end and take notes on it, because I just had so much fun reading the history of the region. And while it's called the history of Boston, because that's really the, the, the central story, it really is more the history of the region, because you can't characterize a city based on what are, in a lot of ways, you know, sort of historical happenstances to where the political boundary of a city is. Um, you know, Boston has very defined boundaries politically, which are really the product of, as I said, landfill and, and an annexation movement in the 19th century that stopped when Brookline, Massachusetts voted no to further annexation into Boston. But Boston's housing market is greater than the, the, the political boundaries and stretches all the way into southern New Hampshire. Uh, its economic boundary, it's really the capital of, of the New England economy. We've seen this throughout its history where uh, you know, the farm economy, the trade economy took goods that were made, goods and produce made or grown across New England um, and, and funneled it through Boston as the center of trade as well as the center of finance. New England's uh, industrial economy um, was financed out of Boston, even if the mills were, were spread out across the region. Um, the, the canals that connected all the way, um, you know, well into New Hampshire, up into Manchester, um, were, were largely financed out of Boston. So it, it's really the story of New England. Um, and uh, there's quite a bit about uh, New Hampshire and Maine and the other New England states in here as well. As we mentioned, uh, you're a lawyer, the president, uh, chairman, co-founder of a law firm that uh, works with the uh, commercial real estate industry uh, in Massachusetts. By the way, what what is the name of the law firm, Daniel? The law firm is Dane Torpy. We're a 27-lawyer boutique law firm representing the commercial real estate industry. So that did, uh, in in a way, give you uh, kind of a a different perspective uh, when you were, you know, researching the book and, and writing it. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, the, my interest in starting to dig in was, was based on this professional interest of what makes cities successful when I advocate uh, for my clients. And I've also had people say, well, you know, you're not a professional writer, you're not a professional historian. And in a lot of ways, that's true, except I think what I did in writing the book is, is really no different from my day job as an advocate for my clients. Um, you know, I represent uh, companies in the real estate industry, uh, but you know, I do litigation for my clients, and, and what I actually do as an advocate is is I tell stories, right? Being an effective advocate yeah. is, is collecting a series of stories. When, it, when a case starts, you know, I'm handed a stack of documents, maybe interview notes, uh, deposition transcripts, and I take this stack of, of facts that may or may not be well-related and weave them together into a compelling story, and I do that every single day. And my book is really a collection of, it's 800 or so pages, but uh, it's really a collection of, you know, a thousand different short stories that I found interesting and compelling. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the trick to, to uh, at least to being an advocate as a lawyer is, is, is telling a set of facts in a compelling and interesting way. And I think that's what I try to do in the book. Absolutely. And uh, tell us about your photographer, Peter Vanderwalker. How did, how did you and, and Peter uh, get together? Well, I didn't know Peter before this project. Um, I knew his work, and I had several of his books and actually had referred to, to some of his books in, 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 uh, uh, in doing my research. Uh, he's really the foremost urban photographer 
in Boston, but but you know he has a national reputation. He has a series of books like Boston Then and Now, where he takes historical photographs and then takes contemporary photographs and compares them side by side and tells a little history of them. So I knew and respected his work. He's really the best at what he does. Uh, and a mutual friend introduced us after I finished the narrative. Um, and I just, you know, I just thought he'd be someone neat to meet. Uh, but I printed out the manuscript before I had a publisher and uh, just gave it to him just in case he might be interested. And his wife later told me that he doesn't really read books. He has ADHD. Uh, but he sat down and read the book straight through, even though it's 800 pages, uh, and loved it so much that he called me up afterwards and said, you know, I believe in this project and I'd like to make my photo archive available to you, uh, is, you know, in condition that you put put my name on the cover. And I was like, absolutely. Are you kidding? <laughs> to, get, to get your photo archive and all I have to do is put your name on the cover and you have a... You have a, a, a good brand and people know you and, and it will help promote my book. Uh, you know, it was an absolute no-brainer to work with him. And he was a joy to work with and, and provided just really fantastic photos that are on the, the cover and the, the end pages as well as throughout the book. And the, the, there's over 200 photographs and images in the book, of which maybe half are, are temporary that he took. And the other ones are historical images that we did research on. Daniel Dane is with us. The new book is A History of Boston, just out. It would make a terrific Christmas gift for uh, people who uh, either grew up in the Boston area or just had an interest in, in Boston in general. So, And it, it's just out, right, Daniel? It is, yep. The publication date was September 19th. It's in bookstores. I know in New Hampshire it's at Gibson. I'm, I'm happy to have it up there. Um, and I you know, hope to schedule some events in New Hampshire to meet folks up there and tell them about the book and the project. Can you stay with us for a couple of minutes? We have to take a quick break. Absolutely. All right. Daniel Dane, the author of the new book, A History of Boston. And uh, we will be right back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL and HTalkRadio.com. Peter St. James in the studio today. Always great to have the incomparable one here with us. And Daniel Dane on the phone, and uh, Daniel is the author of the new book, Just Out, A History of uh, Boston. Daniel, a uh, a native uh, Bostonian, and uh, I'm sure, Daniel, you found out a lot about Boston that you never knew in in your research. Oh, an enormous amount, and I I felt I knew a lot before as well. I love to give sort of informal tours when people come from out of town. Uh, I've always felt the best way to see Boston is on foot and walking the neighborhood. And even with even when I'm with people from Boston, I've always liked pointing things out about the city, and I do a lot of reading. Uh, but I always had the back of my mind that, you know, I, I knew a lot of the stories. But, you know, for instance, the famous Paul Revere ride was, and the signals from the Old North Church. Was Paul Revere uh, in the North End signaling across to Charlestown, or was he in Charlestown receiving the signal? Those types of details. I just didn't quite know, and I wanted to do the research myself and understand them. And by the way, Paul Revere was in the North End doing the signaling across to Charlestown, and then he was rowed across to Charlestown and uh, you know, started the alarm. But um, those type of details were things that I wanted to learn, and there were just hundreds of little stories about Boston that I never knew that I really enjoyed learning about and writing about. So, uh, but Daniel, uh, this is Peter, St. James. Um, uh, it, Hi, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. Uh, it took you... You started in 2017, so about six yeah. years? It was four years of writing, uh, and then 
you know, two years of, a little less than two years of, of editing and, and uh, you know, trying to strengthen it and uh, finding a publisher and doing the photo research and then, you know, then just the process of printing and then, in, you know, doing the index and, and everything. So it was, it was quite a process, which, which I found really interesting and, and had the great help from uh, Deidre Randall. And, and All right, so that, that begats my question. You got that out of your system now? Uh, you ready to go back to being an attorney? Or is there history of Boston part deux uh, in the works? I think <laughs> that's a great question. See, there you go, huh? <laughs> I, I, I think I want to spend more time with my family and, and my day job. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> that's, that, that's an inordinate chunk of time. It was a huge commitment, and uh, my, my job came first during the day, and then I always try to get home for dinner and spend time with my family and drive my kids to soccer practice and the like, and then usually at about 9 or 10 at night, I would turn to doing research and writing until about 1 in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Who were some of the, the lesser-known people uh, that were notable in, in the early Boston? You know, so many interesting stories. One of my favorite is Henry Knox, who is both lesser known, but also, you know, his name lives on through Fort Knox. Um, but Henry Knox was a bookseller on Corn Hill in Boston, um, a, uh, you know, sort of a, just a quiet man selling books. Uh, but he was involved in the, uh, uh, in the alarm and the, the, what was called the Siege of Boston, which was um, after um, Concord and Lexington, the militia encircled Boston and the, the British retreated uh, into the peninsula of Boston. Boston before landfill was just a peninsula. Um, and General Washington was, apport- was appointed by Continental Congress to take over for, a, you know, to create a Continental Army. Um, and they were troubled because the, the British were well entrenched in Boston and the militia had circled it, but how would they break this logjam? Um, and Henry Knox came up with this idea of there were there were cannons at Fort Ticonderoga in upstate New York um, that the Green Mountain Boys had, had seized from the British, um, and uh, if if they could haul these cannons all the way from upstate New York to Boston, they could use them to try to dislodge the, the British. And Henry Knox, you know, took off on on horseback and foot all the way to Fort Ticonderoga. Had to hire a team of of uh, uh, of oxen and teamsters, and they loaded these 50 cannons onto sleds in the middle of winter. Um, they had to cross the, the Hudson River, um, and at times the sleds would break through the ice, um, and they had to pull the cannons up and then literally pull these sleds all the way across Massachusetts in the middle of a severe winter. And in the middle of the night uh, on, I think, March 5th, uh, 1776, uh, they built a fort on Dorchester Heights, and in the morning, the British looked up and, were, and these cannons were facing down, could reach the British ships in the harbor, uh, and the British decided to evacuate Boston. And so, you know, just an incredible story, I find, that, that Henry Knox almost single-handedly uh, came up with this idea and, and brought the cannons all the way from Fort, Ty- Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, I had known a little bit about him, but, but reading about that was, was pretty remarkable. I didn't, didn't I hear that, that Knox paid for uh, the, the Ox team, uh, the, the hiring of the— Teamsters out of his own pocket. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, he really just set off on his own yep. um, and organized the you know the entire expedition. It's really really remarkable story. Without which, you know, it's unclear how Boston would have dis- would have been dislodged. Uh, General Washington was was planning a direct attack on Boston, essentially an invasion, where he would have to put 
militia on boats and cross the back bay and, and you know the, the city itself clearly would have been destroyed by that so what is uh, boston's top top uh, tourist attraction daniel uh you know that the the the, uh, the sites along the freedom trail are are hugely popular uh and and important to see but i really as i mentioned before i really encourage people from out of town or even in town to just walk the neighborhoods yeah. um you know, go go in and, and walk around Beacon Hill, go into the North End and eat at one of the wonderful restaurants, go check out the neighborhoods, there's wonderful food and places to visit uh, in, in, you know, neighborhoods that are that are less visited, Nubian Square. A friend of mine has a company called Live Like a Local Tours, where he gives tours of the, of the neighborhoods of Boston. Um, it's really a, a wonderful company that I've done the tours themselves, myself, on four different occasions, because I find wow. it so interesting. Um, and I really approached the book as if I were a tourist myself. I wanted to know the history and, and the guiding principle about what I included or not included was if I thought it was something that someone who wanted to know about Boston would want to know about, I included it and sort of used myself as if I were the, the question the question asker. And then I tried to answer the questions that I kept coming up with. Well, I, I grew up in the Boston area in Melrose. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny because when these things are in your own backyard, many times you don't take advantage of them. And uh, I would encourage more people to take advantage of what's in their own backyard before uh, exploring others. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a fascinating city, and the city has never been more vital than today. The seaport is is packed. The waterfront is bustling. Yeah, uh, it's really an exciting time. And but as I said, we take it for granted that this will continue, and it's it's not, you know, it's. It, these things have to be managed and have to be intentional because it was not always the case that Boston was successful. And if we're not continuing to be on guard about what makes cities vital and successful, uh, you know, we, that's not a guarantee. As I said, when my clients build a new building, there's no guarantee that there'll be tenants for the building in four years. Yeah, that's true. So, so as part of the uh, marketing support for the book, are you doing speaking engagements? I am, yeah, a lot. I've really been enjoying it. I was at the Cambridge Public Library last week. I'm going to be at a bookstore in, in Newton, Massachusetts uh, next week. Uh, a bunch of a number of different private organizations are hosting me for lectures. Um, in each one, I try to uh, tailor it a little bit to the audience. When I was at the Cambridge Public Library, I told stories about the history of Harvard College and some of the neighborhoods. Harvard Square and Kendall Square. Before the interview today, I went through my book and pulled out some New Hampshire stories, so which I'm happy to, to share some if, if you'd like. But uh, the book covers a lot of history in a lot of places, and there's something of interest to everyone, I think. And I, given that I'm doing a lot of promotion for the book, I try to keep it fresh each, each time and tell different stories. All right, mark my word, there will be another book. Yeah, he, and, is, he is too jacked about this. And, and there, and there, there will, will be another one. And there will be another appearance, I hope, by uh, Daniel Dane on, on this show, because we're running out of time for today. Hopefully we'll get you up here at Gibson so you can... Uh, have, have an audience here in Concord, New Hampshire. I'd love that. That would be great. All right. Well, well Daniel, it's terrific. And uh, lo- looking forward to seeing the, the hard copy of the book. And uh, we really appreciate your time this morning. The book is A History of Boston. Just out, the publisher is who, Daniel? Uh, Peter E. Randall, publisher out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Very good. There is a great. New Hampshire connection right there. Daniel, thanks so much. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Our pleasure. Daniel Dane, A History of Boston. Look for it. 
great, uh, great book, great uh, coffee table book that uh, people will enjoy. Great text as well uh, by Daniel. And uh, the incomparable Peter St. James, thanks for stopping by today. I appreciate it. Always fun to be with you again. You do validate parking, right? Uh, Yes, we do. Okay, we do. Just just see Kat in the other room and she will uh, validate your, your, uh, your valet parking spot from this morning. That'll be it for today. Time flies when you're having fun, right? We'll be back tomorrow. Don't know what we're going to do yet, but we will be back. And if you missed any part of this show, you'll hear it again after 7 o'clock tonight. Right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental.